Hello everybody, Bradley here, and before we get started today, I just wanted to thank Mia and Kira, two brand new patrons over on patreon.com slash let's dive deep. If you would like early access to all of the Let's Dive Deep podcast episodes, access to our show notes, and a few other perks and bonuses, make sure you go and check that out at patreon.com slash let's dive deep, or check the show notes for the link. Thank you again to Mia and Kira. And when you're gone, who remembers your name? Who keeps your flame? Who tells your story? Ladies and gentlemen, welcome into a brand new episode of Let's Dive Deep. My name is Bradley. My name is Connor. And today we are actually finishing our deep dive. It is impossible to push this off any longer. We have one song left. We are finishing our deep dive into the hit Broadway musical and pop culture phenomenon, Hamilton. That's right. And that one song we are covering today is song 47, Who Lives, Who Dies, Who Tells Your Story. As per usual, we will be taking into account the Disney Plus version of the musical, the soundtrack, and of course, the experience of seeing Hamilton live. So no matter how or where you have experienced Hamilton before, this is the perfect place for you to be. 
Before we get started, now is a great time to remind everybody that Let's Dive Deep contains adult content. What kind of adult content for this episode? I have no idea. Is this episode probably going to be okay for kids? Yeah, probably. But just as a general warning, these podcasts are not made to be listened to around your children. Or other people's children. Don't put it on around any children. Additionally, Let's Dive Deep Hamilton does contain spoilers. While our focus each episode is a specific set of songs, or in this case, one song only, we will always take into account the entire musical to add context to our discussion. If you are enjoying this podcast, there's so many things you can do to be part of the community or help us out or whatever it is that you are keen on kind of extracurricularly doing uh, after you've done listening. Uh, We have a Facebook group now that is in the show notes. It's completely free. It's awesome. You can hop in there and chat with us about all kinds of things, including the podcast, but really just anything that you are keen on chatting about. Um, I've also done a deep dive into Bridgerton. You can kind of go into your search bar and, and, and just search in your podcatcher of choice. Uh, it would be really helpful if you guys went and specifically on Apple Podcasts, whoever's doing, uh, whoever's working Spotify for us is doing a good job. If you're listening to this on Spotify, Spotify really loves this podcast. Apple is lagging a little bit behind. So if you listen to this on Apple and want to leave a quick review over there, that would be immensely helpful. And finally, next month, Connor and I will be starting Let's Dive Deep Harry Potter. So we still got a few episodes of this podcast left after this that will come out whenever we can get to them. We got some awards to give out. We got some other kind of finale wrap-up episodes to do. Um, But next month, we'll be starting Let's Dive Deep Harry Potter. So if you want to be in on that, make sure you're either on Twitter or Facebook or somewhere there um, following Let's Dive Deep. So when the feed comes out for the trailer episode, you know where it is to subscribe to it and, and, and do all that. But otherwise, that's all I got for the intro. That's it. Yep, that's it. So, it's time. It's time to finish it. So let's kick back, relax, maybe grab your beverage of choice, coffee for both of us this morning. And now, let's dive deep into Hamilton. Who lives, who dies, who tells your story? I think we're both going to agree is the perfect ending to this musical. Before we get into it, though, I just want the viewers to know. This is me me being very selfish here. I just want everyone listening to this to know. I went to a wedding last night. I'm a very social person. And I have not been out of the house a whole lot in two years for obvious reasons. I went to a wedding last night. And I refrained. It was a wedding and a reception. A wedding and then the reception. Both things. And I refrained from getting super fucked up so that I could be ready to do this podcast this morning. So I just want all the viewers to know that I've made a huge sacrifice (laughs) for their listening experience (laughs) this week so that this podcast could be on time. Who lives, who dies, who tells your story? Y'all, I've seen this boy hungover. It's not pretty. He really, he did you a service. Yeah, it's not good. He did you a service. (laughs) Yeah, it was, yeah, it's not ideal. Perfect ending to the musical. And what I... I think what I like most about it, regardless of anything, and it, it, I just think this is the perfect theme to talk about right at the end here, right? The, the whole conceit of the musical, and, and we're going to kind of find out a little bit about it in this song, is that Hamilton, after hundreds of years, is now telling Hamilton's story. Not the whole story, not a perfect version of the story, but this is the version of the story that is now most popular about Alexander Hamilton. And so what I like about this song is it's not only an amazing ending to the musical, but it also it's kind of like an on-the-nose fun way of being like, do you think Alexander Hamilton expected that it would take 200 years and Lin-Manuel Miranda to write a musical about him 
for his legacy to to be seen by loads of people like it, it really emphasizes that you really have no idea who lives who dies who tells your story it could be 200 years later in a musical format and a broadway play which is not how hamilton would have expected it to go and so i just find this whole theme perfect to wrap up this specific story yeah your closing observation there i think is a, a brilliant one right because embedded in this exploration of who tells your story is a parallel exploration of how that story gets told right not only who tells it but in which ways they do and i think that is wrapped in beautifully to bringing all of these characters back and we we get a moment with each of them with washington jefferson we get more time with eliza of course don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves but we we get this communal sense of the cast of characters telling this story with each other and Lin-Manuel Miranda employing them to help him tell the story, which I think is an interesting way to break the fourth wall here and kind of reinvigorate the storytelling in a very tender breaking of the fourth wall instead of the the anger, instead of the the sadness we get immediately preceding this from Byrne Hamilton, right? Here we get something that's that's very sweet, that's that's very tender. It I get every single time I listen to this musical, I get the biggest, dumbest fucking grin on my face when Chris Jackson's back on the stage and mm-hmm. like and Washington's just there. I it might just be Chris Jackson. Obviously, I've only seen this one time without him, and I was just it was the first time I was watching it, and so you're just overcome by all the stuff that you can't kind of pick out individual things, but you just have this, like, we missed you. We missed yeah. you, Chris. Yeah, like, you, we, do. We, you do. You do, yeah. You really miss it. You don't know that you're missing him until he's back on stage for a few lines, and you're like, oh, man, right? So, yeah, you get that. It, instantly, it's like the the feeling after the duel is you're, it kind of, it's like a roller coaster. It's bringing you all the way down, and then Chris Jackson hits the stage. The lights are a lot brighter now, less blues, less blacks, like, much more bright, much more warm, Right. And he's he's almost like he's almost like a father, like proudly teaching a lesson. Like, let me tell you what I wish. I Like, it's not very sad or anything like this dude is dead, but it's almost happy. I don't know. I, I don't know what I'm like, what kind of emotion I'm trying to say that this is. But it's not it's not as if the main character of the story we're watching just got shot by his first friend and enemy it's kind of like a happier i don't know it's fantastic yeah once chris jackson hits the stage it's i get the dumbest grin on my face yeah it's cathartic in a significant way because he is the father hamilton was seated at the at his right hand of the father he is the father and he's here to to comfort us and i think in a way he's here to frame the lesson that this song is supposed to teach us Right, absolutely. I find it interesting too that Burr, right, like, and Burr's narration has been just all over the place in the last song, and that's for specific purposes that we both really enjoyed. But it's hard to kind of like you're you're on this pinball machine with Burr's narrating, whether he's in the moment, whether he's past tense, whether he's breaking the fourth wall, and then here he he's kind of he's kind of the usher, like bringing all these people onto the stage to give Hamilton or to, to give their piece of Hamilton's legacy, their kind of posthumous interpretation of how they view Hamilton. And I really like that from, from Burr, is he's kind of now 
you get the sense that he he regrets his choice and instead of mm -hmm. getting his big moment to talk about hamilton you don't really get like burr's kind of now resigned to just filtering through and and bringing the other people onto the stage to talk about like, the people who didn't shoot hamilton <laughs> like everyone yeah. who didn't yeah, yeah, yeah. shoot hamilton gets a moment here and the person who did shoot hamilton it's almost like the usher of this whole thing. And I, I really enjoy whether Burr in here is back to just regular narration, whether he still kind of knows that he shot, like whatever the case is, I don't really need to try and figure that out. Cause I really like how Burr functions in the song almost as the usher. I don't think it's necessary to understand that function in order to appreciate the track. I don't think it's necessary, but there is, a storytelling convention that hinges on Burr that I that I do want to point out just because I appreciate it. This ending song, much like the opening number, we're breaking out of time once again. We're no longer in the time, the the framing chronologically, we're no longer in quote unquote real time of the story, right? Just like Alexander Hamilton is is like a prologue. It you have all of those time jumps, yeah. and the the characters, the characters are uh, omniscient in a way that they aren't in the main body of the show. And here, the characters are omniscient in another way, and also they're back from the dead, so right. we know <laughs> that we're kind of we're, we're we're breaking a form here. But one one thing that I love about this is. I believe this is the first time we hear the the title and name President Madison. Yeah, that's it. It's like we're completely is. out of time here, right? So this yeah. is this is the cast of characters being able to look backwards and forwards in time and and wrap things up for us. And now we are you know, we're no longer telling the story in a very close third person perspective we now get to have all these characters be omniscient in a way that they haven't been since the opening and so that bookend on the story in terms of how they built this musical i find to be really well done and also interesting yeah you do it's something you notice but you don't really obviously care about because it's the whole point. Like, yeah, half these characters are, are zombies. Like, they're like, they died a while ago. And when the like when the soldiers are like, like he told our story, right? It's like Lawrence is back and Lafayette mm -hmm. is there as well, right? And so yeah, it it is interesting the combination of just everyone from whichever kind of time frame that they would like to appear from. To, to give their eulogy of sorts to Hamilton. It's really, it's a really fascinating dynamic here. What I, the, the first bit of this dynamic, I really find interesting because it's so true to life. And I find something being so true to life in this particular song, actually very grounding in a way. Um, Burr gives Jefferson and, and Madison a chance to, to say something. And they're mm -hmm. very complimentary of Hamilton. And I find that to be very true to how real life politicians and statesmen work. Like even as of recording this, if you're listening to this in the future, not relevant, but like I think Colin Powell just had his funeral. He like, did, yeah. He it did, was on right? Friday. And so yeah. I, be I bet you like, and all the Obamas were there and the Bushes were there and the Clintons were there and all like hundreds of American states people were there from previous administrations. And I'm sure if I Googled, 
like just random person in the audience like thoughts on colin powell they weren't always that nice right like all of these types of things right or like when presidents die and they have a big kind of funeral mm -hmm. right a state funeral and all, all the politicians show up as like half of y'all when they was campaigning a couple of years back, half of y'all told America, <laughs> half of y'all told America that if they voted for him, they were voting for the devil's spawn or something. But now right. we're here at a funeral, acting all professional, right? So I find that very true to life, where the politicians and the statesmen, in these moments of, I guess, death, actually act like they should have just been acting the whole time. Like they finally come around to be like, you know what? Maybe he wasn't what oh what was the quote from earlier? Um oh what was it? They literally accused Hamilton of trying to destroy the country earlier. I just can't remember the quote. The financial system being whatever. Anyway, mm -hmm. earlier the financial system was gonna tear down the whole country and was the worst possible thing that could happen. But now that he's dead, it's a work of genius. Right? And I just I like that dynamic because you just see it so often in, in real life politicians, and so I just enjoy that they um they employed it here to, at least for me, I I, I enjoyed it. Mm -hmm. I don't think that's a that's a bad read of this moment at all. I will say I particularly like Jefferson's because the version of him we get in the show is that he's very competent mentally and he thinks highly of himself. He thinks he's very capable. He admits, I tried to undo what Hamilton did, but it's just <laughs> too good, you know? I, I feel like that line... Uh, my my headcanon for that line is that it wasn't in there until they cast David Diggs. And then they're like, <laughs> oh, David Diggs is so perfect. Like, it doesn't take away from the moment to have a little quip in here. Mm -hmm. To have a little, yeah, like, and I tried. Like, I think it's very a David Diggs thing to... I could uh, I could believe that because my understanding is that uh, France was a David Diggs ad lib, so I could believe it here too. That was a David Diggs ad lib. That's that that is Lin Manuel said that the David Diggs mm -hmm. came up with that line. Um, I'm trying to find the quote about the. I won't worry about it. But I did want to. I, I hate it because like when people listen to this podcast, they'll listen to it chronologically fairly quickly. But we've mm -hmm. recorded that episode six months ago, so trying, right, to, right. trying to remember the exact quote uh, is a little difficult. All right, anyways. Um, yeah, Jefferson's is hilarious, like the and I tried. Um, Madison's is interesting, too. Madison, tracking Madison is, is very interesting. He took our country from bankruptcy to prosperity. I hate to admit it, but he doesn't get enough credit for all the credit he gave us. Very fun financial joke there. Like very... yep. Yeah, great money pun. <laughs> great yeah. money pun. Yeah. Love, love a pun. Um, but Madison's interesting because the last time he was on the stage, I didn't mention this in the podcast, I don't think, but I always find it weird because Madison's there. He's like, like, why does the person who come in second get to be vice president? That doesn't make any sense. And it's like, wait, Madison, who the fuck was around when this constitution was created? It was you. You were there. What are you talking about? Like, this is, I, I always find it, like, Madison, Madison is, is part comic relief sometimes, like with the coughing in the cabinet battle number one, so mm -hmm. Hamilton can have a dunk on him too. Um, he's part kind of like, jefferson's kind of um what oh man kind of um strategy translator like he takes mm -hmm. he takes what jefferson's kind of thinking and and kind of tones it down into like an actual strategy they could use um 
But so you never... you'll propose the Potomac. Right, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like he's kind of the, the strategy translator. He takes what Jefferson's thinking and makes it into like an actual I- palatable idea that can that can be put forward to the Congress or whatever, or that will convince Hamilton to give up the capital or whatever it is. But you never get the sense that he's going to be the president in this musical. Like he's he's kind of just there to serve Jefferson's character a little bit, to to give Hamilton a couple dunks. Right, but you never get the sense mm-hmm. he's going to be the president, and then you get that moment. Here you with... get like, oh, that's that's a come up, Madison. Nice right, work. Absolutely. Like the last time you were on the stage, you were talking shit about a thing you helped create, uh, how it made no sense, and it was like, you were there when that was. Anyways, <laughs> like yeah, it's always struck me as a little weird, but yeah, yeah, yeah it's definitely a come up. Um, and the money pun, I love a money pun. This is definitely the show for it. I will say, a little. Little, little like quibble I have. This is understandably a very glossy, very loving memory of Alexander Hamilton. It really is. But what they're talking about here and what he did, the legacy of his sly move to centralize governmental governmental power in the federal level of American government as opposed to the local level of American government, it truly does make Alexander Hamilton one of the great bastards of history because <laughs> of how said- top top heavy the American government still is. You know what I mean? Yeah. You said and, that a and, few times, and I, yeah, I, don't, I don't have an opinion because I'm not American and don't care. But I, I, And I, I stand by it. You know, I still love the show, and I think that his, his legacy, of course, should be appreciated. And I think that his legacy should be understood as one that was prolific and, and brilliant and amazing, but, like, it's not without its faults. And here, we're, we're portraying it in only good terms. And I, that's the point of the musical. I get it, right? The The musical adaptation of the biography of Alexander Hamilton is functioning as intended. It is a well-built adaptation. It works. It's functioning. It's great. But when I listen to it, I'm like, man, y'all are really loving all this guy. Like, I, you know, But I also think, too, that's part, because that is what happens in real life when people are giving eulogies, is that they're very loving. Mm-hmm. All for regular, not just statesmen or whatever, right? Like, you, like if you go to an average person's funeral, everyone gets on stage and says how great they were, how loving they were, how caring they were, how they deserved so much. It's like last week, Brenda, I swear to God, you were yelling about how annoying this person is and how much you hate them. Yeah, right? and it's it's very you know, and I'm, uh. I I aim to support your point here, right? And I think that Colin Powell was a good example. Like after he passed, you know, and 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 to be fair, he was a very well respected states statesman. He was, and he was he was during his life, he was already loved and respected on both sides of the aisle, if I can use that stupid uh, idiom. But like, no one came out and said, "Weren't you the guy that lied to the UN to?" get us to go to war in the desert for oil wasn't that absolutely. you know like, absolutely. like i don't know what the specific things were but i'm 100 percent sure i can find a bunch of quotes from the people that were at that funeral saying that colin powell is like destroying america or something you know? mm-hmm. there's always something there that i can find yeah right and yet at the funeral it's very state like i i i think that 
you're right. This is very loving. I don't think there's another way to portray this as, other than very loving because that's just what people do at funerals or eulogies. No, and also, like, again, I'm talking about, like, you know, uh, I, I have personal, like, whatevers, but it functions well as a musical. Like, this is what has to happen. Like, you can't start this song coming out going... Hamilton's dead and was a dick. Like you can't like it's not you can't right. you can't do that. I do want that alternate song though, where the whole lesson is like, actually Hamilton died and everyone realized he was a fucking asshole. <laughs> Jefferson comes out. Do you remember when he got his son killed? Right, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I, I maybe that alternate version. If anyone out there wants to write the alternate lyrics for this song where everyone realizes that oh hamilton's dead and oh we actually did really not like him this is good for us like weird yeah what's the what's the uh what's the couplet or quatrain we give to james reynolds at this moment (laughs) absolutely yeah yeah Yeah. um we also get angelica back which is fantastic oh i want to talk about this because this is some of the subtlest but most well-crafted music work in this song for my stupid music brain that doesn't really understand it. Like as Angelica kind of walks to the center of the stage and and talks about every other founding father's story getting told, right? Like the come up of the music, but in a way that's very like rhythmic. I have a, where I work is a very big space and I live up there while I'm working. I have a drum kit up there and I play the drums all the time. And anytime I decide to just throw on the Hamilton soundtrack and kind of just get some rudiments together and kind of drum along to it, this is one of my favorite parts to drum along to because you just get like this steady increase of the bass and the tempo. And you like, as Angela and Renee Elise Goldsbury is just like, just her walking to center stage is very like, um, oh man, what's the word I'm looking for? Very confident. She's a very confident mm-hmm. presence on the stage and just the come up of the 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 tempo there i find it to be like just very subtle but very very well done musical craftsmanship from yeah whoever, whoever's been, making those choices we've been very stately up to this point because we've been dealing with the statesman we've been talking about the governmental influence but there is something more personal in 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 a bit of a primal way with the energy of that percussion because now we're we're getting back to family ah, matters. We're getting to personal matters. Primal, it is a noticeable that's shift. The right word. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. very primal. I like that. That's the perfect mm-hmm. word to describe it. Yeah, it kind of brings out something from the inside. Like you kind of like relate. I don't know. Yeah, primal is the how I feel about it. Yeah. Um, interesting stuff here, though. Every other founding father story gets told. Every other founding father gets to grow old. I love the first line because it kind of lays out the whole idea of this musical, right? This is kind of it mentioning that the the function that the, like what you've just watched, the function of it is that, oh, this is Hamilton's story being told. Like Hamilton's story has now been told, um, which I find fun. But also I'd like to think, I'd like to think the Game of Thrones creators did this to disastrous effect. I think Lin-Manuel has done this to incredible effect here, mainly because Hamilton actually ends well and Game of Thrones does not. I think that's part of it. Um, But the kind of the pat on the back, 
the little bit of the like look what we fucking did like every other founding father story gets told like that's almost like a little pat on the back until right fucking now because i'm lin manuel miranda and i told this story like i i like that i i don't know if that's at all relevant but that's how i read these types of lines um in game of thrones the line goes something like there's nothing better than a well-told story or something and if it, yeah Right, and if the story had ended well, that line would have played better. But that line is just there for like a self-congratulatory pat on the back. Like we wrote a good story, and people loved it, and here it is. And so I just but like they didn't. No, yeah. So it doesn't work nearly as well there. Mm -hmm. But I think here, intention or not, I always read these types of lines because you'll find them in a lot of works of fiction or just things. I guess this is kind of like kind of fiction kind of non-fiction kind of blended together but you'll find mm -hmm. in in works of art you'll find these types of lines that are a little bit they function in the story there's a reason for them to be there but they're also kind of self-congratulatory i just I, th I think it works here mainly because hamilton's amazing but i have i have never interpreted any meta element to that line ever before that's fascinating to me oh i i just i just noticed the pattern in a lot of not not just hamilton yeah, for sure. Yeah, I don't yeah. think you. I don't think. I don't think Lin Manuel walks into a room and goes, "I need to give myself a pat on the back." Where am I fitting that in? I just think there is something like. Um, it's kind of like how no matter how no matter what kind of politicians will tell you they'll do when they're elected, there's just something about actually being in power that's very limiting. Like mm -hmm. no one ever does all of the things they promised. You know what I mean? There's something inherent about it. I think it's the same with like storytelling. There's just some inherent intrinsic thing about writing that as you're trying to write an ending, a lot of creators try and sneak something in there. And I don't think it is intentional or something that, that it's meant to be like have a spotlight on. Mm -hmm. um, but I think it is like just kind of instinctual kind of, and there's always a reason for it to exist. It's not just the, I don't know. I've always interpreted a meta element to it because I just noticed that kind of line in multiple different things, not just Hamilton, not just Game of Thrones. Um, yeah, for sure. And I I like that. Every other founding father gets to grow old, though. I mean... Pretty obvious. Pretty on the nose. Sure. I don't know that for a fact, but I'll believe you, Angelica. <laughs> like, like, it kind of adds... I, I think the part of this line that doesn't quite work for me is like, Hamilton got killed in a in a duel that, regardless of whether Burr should have shot him or not, Hamilton wasn't like blameless in and definitely like consented to, mm -hmm. right? Like, I, I kind of don't feel as bad if you, right? Like every other founding father get to grow old. It's like, well, yeah, but every other founding father didn't fucking go to a duel with someone who was gonna shoot them, right? <laughs> right? Like it works for me because it's a fact and it's true. Mm -hmm. But also, it's like Hamilton wasn't just gunned down in the streets, right? Like, Well, I think it is still lamentable here because my belief is that we're supposed to interpret this musical as more of a Greek tragedy rather than a contemporary tragedy. And so what she's referencing there is the, the idea that Hamilton's fate was in a way inevitable. It was preordained by the capital F fates. Yeah. And so his actions in deciding to go to the duel and going towards the duel, I think on a, on a storytelling level, we're meant to interpret them as Oedipus making his decisions. You know, it's, it's supposed to be a, 
there's no escaping destiny lament rather than if he'd only been smarter lament that's true i also think too for and i like that angelica has this line because of Mm -hmm. of course angelica would lament the fact that he didn't get to grow older Mm -hmm. right like out of all the people angelica would be like i wanted more time with him i liked him he's a good yeah absolutely and and did i make the wrong decision going to london with church you know like did i you know could i have could i have kept his eyes in my life longer if i had stayed stateside yeah yeah, I, so I think from that point of view, the line works really well for me. That's Angelica that has the line. I still can't quite decouple myself from like, eh, it's not like Hamilton was just like walking down the street and like tripped and cracked his head on the concrete or something. Like for Hamilton, sure. Like, Hamilton went to, again, it's like Philip. Like I got a lot of emails that weren't happy with my unimaginable take on philip's fate in a duel but it's like hamilton you went to a duel alexander like dying is a pretty not maybe not a common outcome but not out of the question so i don't know if i feel that terrible yeah i I don't necessarily feel that terrible i mean look dude you avoided every other cause of death and you explained them all of to us you told (laughs) us how you just couldn't seem to die all right you truly had plot armor and then you (laughs) threw it away yeah, <laughs> right. All these, my mother was sick and I couldn't die. And then, yeah, yeah that's true. That is true. I, I I hadn't quite ever thought about that. Um, Burr comes back on the stage. But when you're gone, who remembers your name? Who keeps your flame? Who tells your story? And then you get this beautiful, like, almost like a baton pass between all the characters in the ensemble to alternate saying who tells your story over and over again until Eliza's on the stage. Eliza's here, and oh boy. When I first saw this, I was like, and what the fuck is she going to say? Because I'm still, when you're listening to this, you're like, how is she reacting to this duel thing? Mm -hmm. She thought her husband was going to a meeting at dawn. Turns out she was lied to, (laughs) and now is a single parent to their 19 children. I guess at the time I didn't know they had, was it 10 children? Eight? It's a lot. I think it's right. a, I think it's eleven at this. Well, no, I think it was eleven total, and then there they were guardians they of one for a time. Lots. I think it, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, and so at the, in the musical, I knew he had a sister. I think, I think we get reference to a second child, but mm-hmm. um, yeah, I have a sister, but I want a little brother. Is the line from Philip? Um, yeah. But at the time, I was like half expecting Eliza to just come out and like. Like, obviously say something loving because this is the end of an emotional musical and they're not going to leave. But I thought Eliza would at least get, like, one or two digs in here. Not at all. Like, not mm-hmm. not, not what we're about here with Eliza. Well, and I think we're able to do that because this is Eliza out of time, just like yeah. everyone else is out of time, right? She's had, she's had another 50 years, we're about to learn, to reconcile. And we're, we are getting Eliza now we're getting the consensus of all of her time with Hamilton from when they met to when she passes away. We just don't know that yet. Right. And so that's how we're functionally at this point in the story, able to have this tribute from her. I, I, when I heard this line in the musical, I actually believed that this was a part that was completely made up for the musical 
to land like that emotional effect that she lived for another 50 years. I was like, Oh really? Interesting. I, I, I don't know these things. Right. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I, I just thought like there, I, I just thought I was trying to do like some mental math, like guessing how old she was plus 50, like how many people even lived that long back then, all of that stuff. And then I Googled it. She lived more of her life after Hamilton's death than the entirety of her life before that. She was 48 when Hamilton died and and lived till 98 years old. Isn't that wild? Like, so even if you include her from her birth through like, what, 13, 14, like all of those years, like all of her formative years, then her entire life, like all of her formative years into adulthood, married to Hamilton, her entire life with Hamilton. Hamilton dies and she's not even halfway done. It's unreal. It's unreal. Mm-hmm. What I, 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 I was convinced that maybe, maybe it was 40 and they were just rounding up for effect. Maybe it doesn't even matter. Like maybe they just assume people aren't going to Google this shit. And so like, they're just picking 50 years. Cause it's like the most believable number that they can push to and to land that effect. Not at all. Uh, 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 something made up for the, musical like completely true i was i was shocked when i found out that was 100 percent true yeah and it adds such a sense of romance to hamilton's my love take your time i'll see you on the other side yeah yeah and she does she does indeed oh it's absolutely unreal i maybe this is a better conversation for like a bonus episode i can't remember where i read this and i this might not be a historically accurate source but i once she lived once i realized she did live for so long i was trying to find like what was that like right because she would have been famous in a way like people would have known about Mm -hmm. her and i can't remember what publication had these articles it was somewhere that i thought was at least relatively honorable and probably at least kind of correct but um i could be totally wrong um wiki uni i'm assuming (laughs) yeah Uh, um i had read that it used to be some like one of the earliest forms or the earliest kind of setups of like like celebrity tourism it's like while people were in new york they would try and like catch a look at eliza hamilton because she was just still there. Like, she's 95 or whatever. And she's mm-hmm. still alive. And she's... Because everyone else from that era, that time of the country being created, was either a child and is now an adult, but all of the really influential people are all dead. That it was almost like a form of tourism to seek out Eliza. Not to, like, bother her. Like, obviously, there's no paparazzi back then. Right. right? But just to, like, catch a look, right, at somebody who was there. Right, who was really there for like the in depths, the in the the uh, the ins and outs of how this country was created. I found that a fascinating article to read. Right. Yeah, I've I've heard similar things. It may be from the Chernow. I'm not sure, but I've actually heard the same anecdote. Um, may, may, and, I, I don't recall it being from Chernow. I've read. It's been a while since I've read that, yeah. and so maybe I'm conflating two different things here and just misattributing two different things yeah. I read to opposite. Can you imagine the idea of post-colonial paparazzi? Like people following (laughs) celebrities around with paper and charcoal, you know, trying to quickly sketch, you know, someone getting out of their carriage. Yeah. Uh, Anyway. The whole, the fact that she lived to be 98 is incredible to me. Like that, that just adds so much depth, so many layers. Yeah. Well, and 
as we're about to discuss, right, she wasn't exactly a hermited uh, widow either. She no, was no, very no. active, remained uh, active in public life as well as her own endeavors. She was not, you know, necessarily withdrawn. And with the size of her family that she's now governing on her own, you look at her productivity and I'm, I'm not saying single mothers can't be productive. Don't, like, don't, like, it's just, like, she had a lot of stuff to take care of, right? And also, the Hamilton, the Alexander estate, the Alexander Hamilton's estate was not exactly something small to manage either. Right. She inherited a lot of work after his passing. And her, 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 her body of work after his passing is just astounding. And I think that it's necessary and brilliant that we call it out here in this number just yeah if you're listening to this and haven't taken the time to google like the post dual eliza hamilton like it's fascinating and incredible like the musical does the best it can in this one song to do it justice and it does a very good job of it but it's it is so much more incredible outside the musical when you just even just loosely read into it fascinating stuff um she puts herself back in the narrative i really like this line i think tracking um tracking her and her kind of willingness and desire to be part of the narrative is 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 kind of fun throughout this musical um i believe the last time she mentioned it was during burn when she takes herself out of the narrative Mm -hmm. um and so putting herself back in here is a nice little bookend to that kind of three-part um narrative whatever Mm -hmm. Um, and I believe that this is a direct inversion. If I remember correctly, that previous line is I'm removing myself yeah. from the narrative. Yeah, so this is exactly. a direct. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I find this line fascinating. I stop wasting time on tears. Right. Like it, it, it adds like everyone grieves differently. And it, grief is kind of a fascinating thing because it's such a universal experience. Like no human person gets through their life without experiencing grief. Right, but every person deals with it so differently from every other person that it's kind of, at least for me, one of the most fascinating human experiences. Right, because from person to person, the types of grief can be very identical. Like someone's broken up with you, someone's cheated on you, um, someone in your family has died. Right, and those can be kind of identical, but how each person deals with it is is way different. And I like this idea of Eliza kind of spending however long kind of grieving in what I would call like the stereotypical way of doing it. Like lots of tears, lots of crying, very somber, like how, how most people would stereotypically, if you had to describe like an emotion to grief, you'd be like crying, right? Even though that's not really an accurate portrayal of it. Um, But I like this idea of her just like getting up out of her chair and being like, you know what? Fuck this. Fuck this. I'm not wasting any more time on this dumb shit. I'm going to go and do stuff. And then when you learn about the orphanage and the Washington Monument and all that, you're like, hell yeah, you did it. Like, it's not that you're just going to stop wasting time on tears. You're going to start using that time on this other shit that you are proud of and that you believe in. And I I find this line fascinating for her interpretation of, of grief, um, but also kind of what she ends up doing with this time that she says she's wasting on tears, I find to be very compelling. Mm-hmm. And loving to... Alexander. Yeah. Yeah, all very loving to Alexander, which I still wish there was a little bit of something after the... the I, I just still want her reaction to be like, what the fuck? Like, why? Why did he go to this duel? Like, honest to God. like I, I think there's a reason it's omitted. 
I think that that is, I think that, that that's not for us, right? I think that her, it's such an emotionally intimate moment to deal with his passing. I think it's a storytelling decision to keep that hers alone. That's not, you know, it's too intimate. It's too personal, right? It's not for us. It's none of our business. You know what I mean? I want it to be my business. <laughs> I, 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 no matter what, no matter what the justification and how good it is, it doesn't stop uh-huh. me from wanting to. It also would have been. We talked about this last episode. It would have been slightly duplicative because we got a lot of grieving in the Philip situation, right? Which is um, slightly, slightly similar. To that uh, right lo- so you can you can see what i'm saying you're just saying expelliarmus i want it yeah oh that was so funny <laughs> that facebook comment that was so good I, I i i was just i was there i was like what what kind of funny comment can i make on facebook and I yeah was i could like, feel yeah. i could feel yourself patting yourself on the back in that moment now i can yeah. hear you doing it too right um <laughs> Go and join the Facebook group, by the way, if you're listening to this. It's a good time. Yeah, by uh, the way. Actually, that comment was not way. in the Facebook group, but I will post very funny comments in the Facebook group often. I promise. Um, I live another 50 years. It's not enough. Like, what? I, I get it. I get it. I think most people at the end of their life probably feel like they didn't have enough time or they didn't use their time well enough. Like ninety eight's got to be the high end of where people got to in that time. Mm-hmm. Like, there's probably not a lot of ninety. There's probably not a lot of seventy plus year olds, right? Comparative to to how many there would be now as a percentage of the population. I'm sure. I'm sure there were loads compared to the generations before that. But just compared to now, like I'm not imagining a lot of people living to ninety eight. Well, it still makes the newspapers today when someone over 100 finally passes. Right? I am determined I mean, to make it to 100 just because, at least for now, when you get to 100, you get a letter, uh, obviously not in America, but in Canada, you get a letter from the, the monarch. And if, hmm. by golly, I'm going to have a monarch, I would like a letter. When I was in London, I went to the... <laughs> When I was in London, I went to Buckingham Palace and just kind of played with the guards for a little bit. They have, like, the real guards with, like, the fucking guns and shit. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But then they have the pretend guards with, like, the red outfits and the pointy hats and stuff. And I was like, (laughs) I just walked up. I was like, hello, I would like to talk to the queen, please. And they were like, no, you cannot do that. And I was like, but I'm her subject. And they were like, everyone here is her subject. You can't. And I was like, oh, but I tried. So I would like a letter if I, the queen's going to be on all my money and stuff, I would like a letter. I guess it won't be the queen by the time I'm 100. But anyways, that's a tangent about... If you're ever in London and you go to Buckingham Palace, they will not let you see the queen, if you're wondering. I tried. They don't let... We're just plebs that aren't <laughs> allowed into the, <laughs> into the palace corridors. Um, she, she was busy. She was picking out a new carriage. She was also... I learned, actually, she was also at uh, Balmoral in Scotland. Oh. Uh. Well, there you go. Which that that would have been a better excuse. They could have just been like, "Sorry, sir, I know how important this is to you, but she's actually not in this country right now." And I would have been like, "Ah, that's fair. Like she's not here, anyways." Um, <laughs> <laughs> Eliza starts going into um, all of the different kind of projects she's working on, things she's doing to record, to document, to. Um, preserve 
Hamilton's story, but also, I guess, in this case, to tell that story, to kind of and to 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 have control of the narrative of the legacy of Hamilton. Um, obviously, conspicuously, something like the Reynolds pamphlet, not part of the end of this musical, not right? Not like, part of it. Real quick, to- though, if I may, I really don't want to skip over Angelica here, just because I adore her being buried near Hamilton. We have no mention of Angelica being buried near the rest of her family. Like or even, her husband. Right, that's what I'm saying, right? Yeah, yeah like in, in the afterlife, Angelica and Hamilton are near each other. And I, I just find that to be very, very sweet. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely very sweet. Is that is that also, I, haven't, I just assumed it was true. I bet you that's probably true. That is true. That is true indeed. Interesting. What a choice. That feels mm-hmm. very strange to me in that time that you wouldn't be buried. I I think uh I think her husband was buried in England. That would make sense to me. I think I think he I think he was. And and if I remember correctly, she outlived him as yeah, Eliza did. did Hamilton, right? Yeah. Um Stop wasting time on tears. Live another 50 years. Um, I interview every soldier who fought by your side, and then Mulligan, Lafayette, and Lawrence are there to say she tells our story. I really like how Lafayette and um, Mulligan here um, are are kind of bouncing back and forth, right? Like they're Lafayette mm-hmm. and Mulligan in the same song, like without right. leaving the stage, as they are Jefferson and Madison. Um, mm-hmm. I find that to be very interesting and, and just a good use of, of space and a good use of the, the cast. Yeah, I want to punctuate that moment. I want to punctuate what you just said. That teaches us, the viewers and the listeners, that teaches us that in this song, at the end of the show, now that we are out of showtime, that teaches us that not everyone on stage must be throughout the entirety of the number, who they started the number as. Right. And it's important that we learn that lesson here. Okay, anyway, keep going. Because it'll it's coming back. It's coming <laughs> it's back coming around. Back. All right, it's coming back around. Um, I just the pro I interview every soldier who fought by your side. Like, wow. Wow. How cool. Like that's just so fucking cool. I don't know what else to say about that. Well and we learn a lot about him because she does that. You know, all of the war stories, all of the anecdotes, we know exactly what he did, you know. Um, yeah, it's it's fascinating. And what what time it would have taken. And finding them all. Where right, are they yeah, now? This you is, know? It's not exactly like people can just get on a flight and may you just can't like Facebook Messenger everyone. You can't search like mm-hmm. the 163rd Battalion or whatever to right. be like, whoa, okay, these are everyone I need to talk to. It's a much more lengthy process to try and schedule those interviews, find those yeah. people, record those interviews. Man, now if just... I if I if I remember correctly, some of this was finding people and writing to them and requesting that they write her back whatever accounting they want to give of their service with him, but. That, to me, doesn't make it any less impressive. No, absolutely not. It's just an incredible effort from Eliza here. Um, Mulligan, Lafayette, and Lawrence, she tells our story. How cute. Nice to have them back. Nice to have Lawrence back. I know you're probably pretty excited about having Lawrence back on the stage. Always. As, I... as, as Lawrence, not as kind of Philip. Right, as Lawrence. Anne. I would love to have more 
of him here, but I also love how he is represented in the show. I get enough Lawrence, and I also think that it's important we feel his absence throughout the show. So no no analytic gripes from me. I just love <laughs> me some Lawrence, you know? Um, this line, it makes me laugh every single time. I, I try to make sense of your thousands of pages of writing. You really do write like you're running out of time. Obviously, Eliza would be super... Uh, aware of exactly how much Hamilton writes. Like it would affect her life in a very visceral way, the amount of time he spends writing. So I like even her, she's like, oh, you really do like, even the amount of time she watched him write is still surprising once she finds all of the stuff he's written. Cause even she can't really do the mental math, like time spent writing versus pages written. Like, I like how that math is still not quite adding up. You're like, holy fuck, like that. Like, you are an impressive writer, my guy. Like, I, I, um, but also that they don't make sense to her in a way. Like, she's trying to make sense of them. I love this idea. The Hamilton's like, just like a doctor would just been writing fucking gibberish the whole time. Like, mm -hmm. not only is he writing all these thousands of pages, they're only really understandable to him. Like, only he even knows what he's going on about. I imagine if you're not Eliza and you just get a hold of these, like, they're just the ramblings of some crazy person right like you just but, have and no it's kind of a sweet moment her just being like oh hammy you really you really did write like you got it i love the idea of her going into his study for the first time and finding reams and reams of paper yeah. that she didn't even know anything about you know that's exactly i like everything about this line i like the intimacy mm -hmm. that it shows on her end to kind of read through everything and how emotionally difficult that must be Right? Like, your husband is dead, and then your next move is to listen to all these other people talk about him, right? And, and, and read through all the stuff he's written. Like, that's a in, a... in a world without therapists, like, this is a hard... Mm -hmm. This is hard to kind of... I imagine hard to emotionally get through while still doing all... Managing the estate, having all those kids, right? Like, having all of that extra responsibility that you also now have. Um she relies I think on it's bittersweet, but it gives her a way to stay connected to him. Yeah. Yeah, just fantastic. That is true. I hadn't thought about it from that point of view. Mm -hmm. Maybe it's maybe it maybe it is a net benefit. Yeah, it can be comforting, you comforting, know. Comforting, yeah. You know how you know it's it's very difficult to read someone's writing without hearing in your mind what you know or have decided their voice is, right? Right. You know, and so every time she reads his letters, she can hear his voice again, you know? Very sweet. Um, this is where we get to the Angelica stuff. Um, I, I love that while she's alive, we, like, we tell your story. Like, Angelica is immensely helpful in this process. Mm -hmm. I'm assuming of interviewing people, of reading through the writings, of trying to make sense of them. Um and then, yeah, she's buried near near Hamilton. When I needed her most, she was right on time. Beautiful line. Time kind of becomes a character in this song. It, it, it's been a character, though. I guess any story, time is a character to some degree. Um, because you have to choose a mode of, of time, whether you're doing things chronologically, whether you're doing things out of order. Like a book series like Game of Thrones jumps from character to character out of time. And so time right. is kind of always also by proxy a character in a work like how are you utilizing um time here and what i like about this is we're so used to in this musical um we do a lot of time jumps like we're literally mm -hmm. talking about like the time on a on a clock here like angelica's gonna or eliza's gonna live 50 years right and it wasn't enough time like again we're looking at a watch like that's not 
enough time. But I, what I really like here is that when she needed the most, she was right on time. Kind of like we use the word shot in my shot to mean a bunch of Absolutely. different types yeah. of things. I like yeah. the use of the word time here to kind of take us out of like numerically on a watch, what is the time, right? Or on a calendar, like what is the time? Um, but just Angelica was on time. She was there. She made it. Yeah. Right. She wasn't late to help out when she needed her. I like I like that use of the word time. Also, of course, Angelica wasn't late. Like, oh, of course everything... not. Yeah, yeah, she she had a fully functional Heisenberg uh, compensator. <laughs> right. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. How does it compensate? Who cares? It's, it's in the name. It's called the Heisenberg compensator. Doesn't matter. This right. sets us up for, I believe. Um, and I don't know if I'm getting too far ahead of you, but the inclusion of Angelica here, you know, they're a union of two. And I think that this sets us up very well later on for who tells our story between Eliza and the full company. Because we're watching the storytelling grow from just Alexander, now Eliza and Angelica, and now we're telling Mulligan's story, Lafayette's, we're telling Lawrence, you know, we're, we're telling. And so as we progress throughout this number, we're starting to explore in a very intimate way family and community and what it is to tell stories mutually as community. And I think this, this is actually the meta moment for me that we're getting into that you were addressing earlier. I like, this is a very loving, I think, uh, exploration of what it is to tell stories as a company of theater artists, because now we're all telling the story together, you know, and this, we're starting to get into what for me is a very intimate and fourth wall kind of way to tell the story. I love it. I think it's fantastic. Yeah. I mean, it just is fantastic. One of the things I was positive we were going to agree on. Is oh yeah, that and this, we do. This ending is brilliant. It's absolutely yeah. pitch perfect. It's 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 brutally flawless. It's uh, like I I I fucking dare you to find a problem. Come at me. Oh, I have a problem. I saved my hottest take. I do have one massive issue with this song. I'm looking I, forward to it. I'm saving my hottest take of Hamilton for this episode. I'm Let glad. See. I'm Let me glad. see if I could offer you some uh, some trademark D. You Connor McVay uh, Hamilton I, counseling here. No, you cannot. I am <laughs> I am fully in on my take. But anyways, we'll get to that when it comes up. Um, All right. Well, it's more of a take for the whole end. Um, but anyways, um, indulge me here for a little bit. And this is a... Sorry, there's a soccer game going on outside and people are yelling. Really, I live like right next to it. Like literally within 10 feet of my backyard is a baseball diamond slash soccer pitch. So Why did they put a train track next to it? Right? Oh yeah, there's a fucking train track that you can, it's ridiculous. Anyways, it's, it's a great place to live because it's just near everything, but it's very loud sometimes. Um, indulge me for a minute here. And I, I, this is not the right song to be doing this in. Yeah, no worries. I'll just go get more coffee. No, go. <laughs> it's got to be done here. I'm not saving this for a bonus episode. I would like your headcanon as to what the fuck. What is it? Let's assume Angelica dies like 10 years after Hamilton. I don't actually know the number. 20 years, whatever. What are the decades of Hamilton and, or Hamilton and Angelica in the afterlife together without Eliza like? They're there for decades together before Eliza rocks up. Is it just like 
is it just like a, a cycle of just painful flirting for decades in the afterlife before Eliza? She's like, what is their relationship in the afterlife like? I, I'm fascinated by that because they got this weird like love triangle thing going on this whole musical. And up until the Reynolds pamphlet, that's very much still a thing. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, now these two are in their hypothetical afterlife together. Mm -hmm. For decades before Eliza rocks back up. I don't want to accuse anyone of anything here, but I am curious as to how those two might have navigated that situation because that would have been interesting. Mm -hmm. Well, and it, I, I, I don't think my head canon is that nothing was ever consummated. <laughs> it has to be, or else you lose all the emotion from the song. You do. Yeah, right, like uh, it, it, also, it, we're we're recording it during November, so there's yeah, right, right absolutely, yeah, yeah. Uh, I, my head canon is influenced by my understanding of their reality. Eliza was very proud that her husband was the pretty talk of the town. And that pride actually extended to her sister. She thought it was adorable that Angelica was so hot to trot for Hamilton. She thought it was funny. They would write letters to Angelica together. You know, she endorsed their friendship and their their flirtation to a point. Uh, I refuse to believe that Angel Angelica and Angel Alexander... Uh, set down their angel harps together and cuddled up next to the fountain, you know, at some point, you know, hey, St. Peter, we're going to need you to turn around. I don't, you know, I think... For decades, though? I'm not, I'm not accusing them of anything either. I'm just, this is a completely hypothetical afterlife here. It's also a bizarre thing to think about, but I love it. I really do. This I is mean, the kind you have of to analysis wonder. that people are here for. I know, what I know. What is the afterlife between Angelica... I love the I love the idea of, you know, Angelica and Alexander like lying down on a cloud together. They've got a heaven blanket. <laughs> they're just and they're just looking down. They're looking down over the edge of a cloud. They're just having you a go, picnic. Eliza. You're doing so Yeah. For decades, They've got a couple. Though, this is the part that it's decades. Like this is the part that anyways, we don't have to talk about this. Heaven Heaven has really comfy blankets. That's you true. can stay Pro on yeah. them forever. I, you I'd know? imagine. You know, you've got a nice bottle of brandy, some Probably heaven up. sausages. Some heaven sausages. <laughs> Great little heaven picnic, man. Right. But is that your ideal? This is, we're just going down a route. Is your ideal heaven picnic heaven sausages and brandy? No, that's what I think Alexander's would oh, be. Okay, okay. I was like, wait a second here. <laughs> that is, I don't know if I'm co-signing on that take. If oh, no. In, if I was in heaven with like... Just literally any food and drink selection for my ideal heaven picnic with Angelica. I don't know if sausages and brandy. No, no. For me, it would be, I don't know, maybe a, a Oban 14 or the mm. Ardbeg 10, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Out of, out of a Waterford crystal tumbler. Oh, and uh, a tumbler, but that's okay. A, um, a, well, you know, my little, my little crystal oh, glasses. Okay, yeah. You know, yeah, yeah, and a uh, and a couch that's far too big, and Ooh. I'm just, and I'm just like Roman emperoring out in heaven. Gotcha. All and right. it's very cold. What about you? What's your heavenly picnic? What's my heavenly picnic? It's definitely whiskey. I'm not sure if I'm going for the peaty stuff for my. Mm -hmm. I'm assuming these heavenly picnics are happening often. 
I don't really know if the peaty whiskey is going to be an often thing for me. It's very delicious. Mm-hmm. You might be more of like a like a Macallan, like more of a Highlands or yeah, yeah, I man or just a really high end Irish. Like mm, gi- mm-hmm. give me give me like the Redbreast Twenty One cast strength up in my heaven picnic, and I'll just drink that forever. That'd be yummy. That would be good. They probably don't even yeah. make the Twenty One cast strength because they wouldn't have any whiskey left <laughs> if they didn't <laughs> throw some water in it, but. But I'm in heaven, so I'll do whatever the fuck I want to the Red Breast 21. And it's coming in at calf strength, poor moi. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't, I, I'm going to think about this. Listeners, a few things you can email us. <laughs> Let's dive deep pod at gmail.com. Also, just post it in the Facebook group or hit us up on Twitter at Let's Dive Deep. Um, what is your headcanon for Angelica and Hamilton's decades together in whichever afterlife you think they believe in? Um, what is that like? interested to hear your takes but also what is your ideal heavenly picnic you're just in heaven you get to have a picnic what is what are you having what are you drinking what are you eating i think they play chess just 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 decades of chess i imagine now i imagine this like painful flirting but like through some kind of excuse like and they have to find other things to do so that they don't what what a beautiful move that was angelica like I imagine, like some really like weird ways of like, ah, I don't know. Anyways, let's let's fucking get back. I'm glad that we split this into two episodes. I'm glad that people are getting the di- deep dive they wanted with this. Holy fuck! No All kidding. Right. Um, I want to examine something here, and I'm gonna tread carefully because it's just an examination. It's not an opinion. It's not a anything really it's just an examination because this has happened a couple times in my life where i i like kind of diving deep into the psychology here specifically the psychology of 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 this specific type of religious thought eliza says the lord in his kindness he gives me what you always wanted he gives me more time and i find this line fascinating and i just like analyzing it in this in this way just because I, I find it interesting that this is framed as a kindness. Surely the, the, the greater kindness would be to just have given Hamilton the time, right? I remember someone when I was really young in my life, um, I believe it was they had cancer or something, something like that, like something very, very ill, and they were in the hospital for a long time. And when they recovered, right, they're very religious, and so they thanked god or however they framed it on their thing which is all good um but i always saw that and i was like but surely the nicer thing to do would just have not been give give like to give you cancer like i just find that the frame of thought interesting that there's almost like the journey is part of it right like that this is a kind like because in my head like surely some of like a better kindness would have just been to give hamilton the time so i find it interesting that eliza finds it to be a kindness to give her the time on Hamilton's behalf. I just think it's an interesting examination here of how Eliza is thinking about this situation. Because I think you can just think about it so many different ways. And I'm fascinated by this type of thought in a musical, in real life. I don't know. I just like examining it. I think it's emblematic of where she is in this moment. She's focusing on the positive. She's focusing on her own potential. 
and having more time enables her to self-actualize and achieve these things that she wants to achieve. So I think focusing on the positive and focusing on gratitude is what keeps her going, or at least is part of what keeps her going because she gets to focus on that positivity. Yeah, I just think it's equally easy to fall into the other camp where you're like mad at the Lord for taking Hamilton away. So I just, I just like, I just love this type of, it's just so compelling in storytelling, right? Because when you're, when you, in, in stories, people of faith all approach their faith very differently. And that's the same Mm -hmm. in real life too. Um, Faith is a lot about interpretation and I love diving deep into how people interpret their faith. Like Eliza interprets this as a, as a kindness and is approaching it as a positive. And I find that fascinating because you so easily could just approach it as a negative and be mad at the Lord for his, I guess, unkindness, right? His skullduggery of mm-hmm. taking Hamilton away that early. Like you can easily flip it in the same frame and just flip, flip the frame over and think about it differently. So I just really enjoy diving into this psychology here. Um, one of the things Eliza does too is she asked herself, what would you do if you had more time? I, I like this because it's showing that she has her own goals, her own motivations, that her own things that she wants to do with this time, but also is very aware or trying to be aware of what Hamilton would have done with his time so that she can, I guess, um, remember him or, or leave the legacy that he would have wanted in Mm -hmm. in a way instead of the one that she wants for him i don't know exactly what i'm trying to say here i just always found that line to be really nice yeah she's trying to be loyal to her own desires but also represent her ideal of his legacy properly is i think what that line is about exactly right? right that's exactly what i'm i'm thinking i just i the writing here is so good i again this ending is perfect um, and it also it also seems effortless. The writing here is so efficient. It just it seems impenetrable. Like once again, this is one of those numbers where I just, you know, this is the show coming out bare-chested, like beating its fist on itself, just going, <laughs> "I dare you. Find fault in me. I, I just, dare you." I just imagine like Tarzan just like kicking through the the back <laughs> of the stage, just like the Kool-Aid man style. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. Um she raises funds in, off. Yeah, she raises funds in DC for the Washington Monument. She tells Washington's story. Cool stuff. Awesome. Well done, Eliza. I wonder what the motivation for that is. I find it interesting that she just talks about like all the things Hamilton would do if she had more time and then immediately flips to the Washington Monument. Obviously the orphanage is the big thing that we're gonna get to talking about, but I mm-hmm. the Washington Monument's nice. It's lovely. It looks beautiful. Oh, it is. Well, <laughs> he made Alexander. Washington made Alexander. Yeah. So uh, paying tribute to Washington is a part of paying tribute to Hamilton. And because Hamilton was a, a, a huge part of his presidency. So when you're telling Washington's story, you're telling Alexander's as well. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's true. Absolutely. She speaks out against slavery. Great stuff. Um, Obviously not enough, but a good start. <laughs> well, I mean, that was an uphill battle. Uphill battle. I don't know what her capacity was to do more about the situation, but it's 
speaking out, I'll give her the credit. Speaking out about it. Good stuff from Eliza. Um, you could have done so much more if you only had time. I wonder... I wonder if that's a reference to the slave, really. If Hamilton was alive for longer, could he have circled back to that issue? Obviously an issue that at least the musical wants us to believe was important to him. Mm-hmm. Um, it was certainly important to Lawrence, and, and regardless of whether you think there was like a bisexual relationship happening there, um, certainly there's a heavy connection between the two mm-hmm. um, in any case. And so... I wonder if, if, if the line is more about that or it's just kind of about everything. Like you could, you could have just done more of everything if you had more time, but there's also this inevitability of it is that like, I don't mm-hmm. think you would, I don't think most people ever feel like they had enough time. No, no, I, I, I agree with you there. I think that both are true. I think that here, and again, this is very clever writing. I think what we're doing here is using the issue of slavery as a specific instance to, eject out of and suggest that Hamilton could have done more of everything if he had had more time, right? So slavery is the microcosm that we're using to say the macrocosm is he could have done so much more generally. Never heard a person say macrocosm before. That's awesome. Really? It's obviously the opposite of microcosm. I've just never heard that word said aloud. That's awesome. God, I hope it's actually a word now. No, I'm confident it is. I'm not going to Google it. He starts typing. <laughs> I saw your face looking at your second monitor while you were saying that. That's yeah, it's such a word. No, I no, love. I'm, yes. I'm not saying it's not a yeah. word. I'm just saying I've never heard someone use it before. I'm not accusing you of making up a word. Yeah, I'm, no, I'm it just ta- saying it like it threw me off guard because I've just never heard a person utter it aloud. Yeah, no, right. it takes me. Uh, it takes me back to. Elizabeth Rolfs Hill's 11th grade English class at the Alabama School of Fine Arts when we studied The Grapes of Wrath. And you've got the chapters, you've got the chapters with the turtle that are the macrocosm, and you've got the chapters with the Jodes, which are the microcosm. I mean, let's dive deep, Grapes of Wrath, man. Let's go. Anyway, great English teacher. And then her husband, uh, uh, Brad Rolfs Hill, was our 10th grade English teacher. It's pretty cool. Back to back. Yeah, yeah, indeed. They were both great. Is he also a Steinbeck fan or not? Uh, was he or me? Was he? I I know you are. Um, I can't recall, and I believe because he. So, if I remember correctly, he taught American Lit up to uh nineteen hundred. I believe that's what it was. Oh and then yeah, she, that's, that's right. So, Steinbeck. and then. She, she did she did all the postmodernism and modernism, right? Which is yeah. kind of more of my wheelhouse anyway. So I remember more of that. Um and then oddly, twelfth grade, we went back to like English and classics. Yeah, we do that too, actually. In oh in, yeah? In my Canadian high school in Vancouver, where I went to school. Yeah, yeah. You 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 start out in grade eight or nine with some very basic like I can't remember if it's Shakespeare or not, but some very like very classic stuff. Um, right. And then you slowly move forward in time, right? Uh, eventually you get to, to some of the, the more, I don't want to say modern classics because they're not all modern classics in the way you would um, use that term. But like compared to mm-hmm. Shakespeare, right, you get into all the, the modern classics, you know, lots of right. Jane Austen and those types of things or To Kill a Mockingbird or those types of books. 
Um, mm. And then grade 12, inexplicably back to fucking Shakespeare for the entire year. Like, See, for us, it wasn't Shakespeare, though. It was Chaucer and Beowulf, uh, Sir Gawain and the Green Knight, uh, all of that. It's like, we could have done this early anyway. Yeah. We're, we're tangential today. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. I mean, listeners, you're, you're enjoying this. Don't even lie to yourselves. This is the perfect Monday morning podcasting for you. Um, <laughs> my, maybe my favorite line in the musical here, um, or at least in this song, um, one of those existential things that everyone faces. And when my time is up, have I done enough? Right? I, I find this line fascinating because as humans you can only do so much even the even the billionest billionaires with their whatever they want to use their like you can only accomplish so much even with unlimited resources and time and, and money and infrastructure and whatever there's still a you only have so much time and you can only fit so much into that time and so this kind of existential burden that everybody bears of feeling like by the time they get to the end, feeling like they've done enough, right? And that, that enough is going to be different for everybody. Like what they feel is enough with what they were given, with what they had, with what they could do. But I imagine, I imagine, and, and during Let's Dive Deep Harry Potter, we're going to have lots of explorations about death, far more than you get in in Hamilton and kind of how people feel about that and how different people approach that. And I imagine a lot of people are scared of just death, like un, like the unknown, like what is the afterlife? What happens after death? Right. And that's not something I am personally afraid of. And maybe it's just because I'm young and fairly healthy and unlikely, right? Like I can still get hit by a car tomorrow or something, but it's an unlikely outcome at this point in my life. So I don't dwell on it too much. Um, but I don't feel like someone who's like, scared of whatever the afterlife is like i don't mind but i'm terrified i'm terrified of getting to the end of my life and feeling like i didn't do enough feeling like i wasted the time that i was given right this finite amount of time spent on earth that i that i wasted it i didn't do enough with it that looking back there's so much more that i wish i would have done and there's there's almost an inevitability to that because only in hindsight can it be 2020 that you can go back and think oh, i wish i'd done that i wish i'd done this but I, this to, this hits so home to me. Like, if there's one thing about death that I am personally afraid of, I mean, afraid's not the right word, but conscious that I will freak out about. It'll be like yeah. whether I've done enough with the time I was given or whether I feel like I accomplished enough, whether I feel like I spent that time well. So this line just hit every time. I'm like, man, I'm not really worried about like what comes after death at all. Right. But I am completely worried about that, that, that piece, especially if you're someone who's like ill and you know that you're going to die and you have that time to, to really think about it like that, that time in between scares me more. And this line just perfectly sums it up to me. I, I, I'm fascinated by the idea of Eliza, who's accomplished so much, who lived to be 98, even still wondering like that's about it. You've accomplished about as much as a reasonable person could accomplish in your position. And you lived about as long as you could have reasonably hoped to live even farther. And yet you're still one. Like it's, there's an inevitability to it. Like, did I do enough? Have I done enough? And I, I, I find the whole conceit about death fascinating and one that's unexplored in a lot of other um, works of art that deal with 
death, like this specific part of it, of kind of that that period before death, where you're kind of second guessing things, is not explored in the same way in a lot of works of art that it is in Hamilton here, and I'm fascinated by it. Yeah, it's a moment of such raw human candor, you know, like Eliza, we, we promise you. Yeah. Like we promise you, you've done enough. Absolutely, it's and yet she still. Yeah, and she, yet she still fears it. Yeah, it hits me too. You know, I, uh, I'm I'm not religious myself. I don't subscribe to to many thoughts about what the afterlife is. I have a hard time believing that life is a dress rehearsal. You know, um, I have great respect for religion and and the religious, but it's just not necessarily my my particular personal bag. And so that's that kind of existential dread like hits me hard because I think about it. Like when I, when I pass, I want to pass knowing that I lived a life with purpose and lived a life with products that I, that I actually did something worthwhile. Yeah, absolutely. There's, but, but it's inevitable that no one ever feels perfectly satisfied with it. Right. Right. There's an inevitability to it that no matter how hard you want to feel that you never will fully feel that. Yeah, I think it may be one of the ultimate blessings one can have if someone is is knowledgeable that they are about to pass and they can lie there and say, I did it. Good job, me. Like that is that has got to be one of the rarest blessings you could possibly have. Yeah, I think just so. to just to feel that satisfied. We're getting tangential and very deep today. This is let's dive deep into our souls. Not just Hamilton. Eliza then this is so fun says will they tell your story another line that i just like lin-manuel putting in there not till me (laughs) no they will not but i will i I like that line but here one of my favorite parts the whole musical is just she's going to talk about the orphanage this fucking massive accomplishment that would mean so much to hamilton that obviously means so much to her and she starts with like she's so humble she's so oh like oh 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 i forgot (laughs) I have this whole orphanage and I forgot to mention it. Oh, let me show you what I'm proudest of. Like, ah, it's so cute. It's perfect. Yeah, like, it is. And I, you know, I also think it's cute, precious, not in like a diminutive way, right? I no, think not it at is all. sweet, right? I think it is adorable as in I adore it. I love it. Like it is just so earnest, right? It's so humble and human. Yeah, it's I, it's flawless. I just and her the, delivery, Philippa Sue's delivery. Yeah, Philippa Sue specifically, obviously amazing at all of this. I I think people will often kind of wonder, like, like what is the impact of writing? How do you analyze writing? Right? How much of how much of a, a good production is the writing, the acting, the costumes, the lighting? And the the truth is, you need all of it to be good. If one of them is way worse than the other aspects of a production it'll stick out like a sore thumb and so hamilton functions well because all aspects of it are at the top of the top of at the top of the highest level of professional acumen like they're perfect mm-hmm. um but this it's one word that adds everything to this line like the o before the can i show you what i'm proudest of it tells you so much about Eliza in this moment and how she feels about the orphanage and 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 it adds so much emotion to it. So like two letters and a period completely change how this plays and the impact of the writing. If you're ever wondering what the impact of writing can be, two letters and a period changes everything about how I feel 
I put this line delivery in the best way. It's so cute. It's adorable. Again, not in a in a diminishing way at all, um, but just in a way that just adds so much to it for me. But she she establishes the first private orphanage in New York City. Fuck yeah, that's awesome. What a noble cause. Yeah, this when I watch the show, th- this is where I I start weeping. Is the company's the orphanage? The f- because the first time you hear that, it's just like course you did you fucking genius like that's like that's the most fitting tribute to your deceased orphan husband like you like oh my it's heartbreaking and i i mean seriously like just a faucet turns on i mean and and the way (coughs) the the music works with that line oh it's just that swell into the decrescendo and then things just kind of lie there so you can feel the weight of the word alone it's beautiful it's breathtaking um she helps to raise hundreds of children she gets to see them growing up you get the company again with the orphanage this is where Mm. i get emotional i don't get emotional with the orphanage part i get emotional with the the eyes eyes i see you alexander like Mm -hmm. just stop it Stop, I can't take it anymore. Just end this musical. Ah, oh, that that line rips me to pieces. And for me, that's a bit like it's a bit like reading his letters, reading his writings. Like it's Absolutely. it may it may be painful, but there's cathartic comfort in that as well. Right, you're you're hundreds of times you're imagining your husband and what his life must have been like as an orphan. Right. In order to be able to see Hamilton in the orphan children, you have to go through the emotional pain of really having a clear picture in your mind of what your husband's life as an orphan must have been like. Because it was probably considerably worse than being in Eliza Hamilton's orphanage. That's oh, probably a show. Right. So you have to do that legwork, that emotional trauma of like getting you into that space of really understanding what your husband's life as an orphan was like to a really value the orphanage as a project worth exploring and worth doing, but also to continue to do it for hundreds of like, man, just a heroic effort from Eliza Hand, like best of wives, best of women, best of humanity, best of people. I don't know. All of it. Incredible. All of effort. It. Incredible. I have to imagine that Elizabeth Schuyler Hamilton ran a very classy establishment as well. Like, don't don't you imagine that these kids had really good lives? Like, just w- what we know about her, you know? Yeah. I mean, as good as possible. Yeah. Well, as, yeah. I mean, yeah, as good as it could possibly have gone, probably. Yeah, I don't well, want I don't want to Google and find out that she actually was terrible at running an orphanage and it was awful. So I'm just gonna... no, I'm I'm staying with the headcanon for sure. Yeah, yeah. I'm sticking with the headcanon. I'm not going to Google it to find out, but I'm going to assume that it was as good as it can possibly be for children in that situation. Um, and then after after the orphanage, she goes back to and when my time is up, will I like have I done enough? Like yes, yes. She still doubts, yeah. Inevitability of it. You can't, it does not matter. There's no way of escaping it. At least even just 1% of something, you just, there's no way of escaping that you feel like you've, you could have done something else. You could have done something more. If your orphanage has 2,500 children, it could have been 2,501. Like why, there's this inevitability to 
the whole thing that I just find fascinating. I find it admirable too. I find that this is a very appreciative and kind, respectful interpretation of Eliza, right? They're being very kind to her by giving her this level of concern in the musical. Yeah. Yeah. They're very nice to Eliza here. And they should be. Within the mm-hmm. canon of the musical, Eliza's been through some shit. And the last time we, she was on stage, she was like wishing her husband good night <laughs> before he went to go get fucking shot by Aaron Burr. So like, she's been through some stuff and, and needs this moment to... Yeah. Yeah, she just needs this moment. And they do a, a wonderful job with it. Um, Are we oh- approaching your... Your hot, weird take? Are we uh-huh. getting there? No, don't worry about it. I'll bring it up when it's necessary right. to bring up. All uh, right. Eliza and the company saying, will they tell my story? The company obviously including all of the other characters um, that yes, they will. Angelica has told us as much. Like every other founding father's story gets told. Every other founding father gets to grow old. Like, yeah, Hamilton is the the one that misses out most. Right. I mean, this dude is also, I believe, on the money. Like, it's not like his story never gets told at all, but just compared to the other founding fathers. Well, there's actually a funny story about that. So there's an episode of The Wire where there's a few kids. um, uh, They're they're talking about Alexander Hamilton being on the on the ten dollar bill. If I remember correctly, it's the ten. And uh, because Lincoln's five. I think Jefferson's 20. Anyway, don't use a lot of paper currency anymore. Um, But there's this debate between these teenagers about, like, of course he was a president. You don't get to be on the money unless you are a president. Like, what are you talking about? Ah. And, uh, but he's he's on a note because he established the treasury. Treasury, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, but yeah, if I remember right, it's the 10th. Yeah, so it's not like his story's not getting told. It's just not to the same level. But at the same time, he would be the he would be the one person on those notes that you would be less likely to know. That's true. Like, yeah. a- everybody knows Washington, Lincoln, Jefferson. Um, and if I remember, there was actually at one point, I, there was a two hundred thousand or like a one hundred thousand dollar note printed uh, that I think yeah. Woodrow Wilson was on. Um, and people <laughs> know course. that because it's that's so Woodrow yeah because it's just insane, right? Yeah. Um. And there was the Kennedy uh, silver dollar. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, you still don't, like a lot of people know his face, but did not know his story, right? That's true too. Yeah, I don't know who's on the Canadian money. I don't give a shit. <laughs> right? I, I don't know. I, I have, oh, my, my wallet's not here. I got a few bills, different types of bills right now. I couldn't tell you a thing about them. Our $100 bill smells like maple syrup though. That's pretty cool. You're like joking. A, it's like a scratch and sniff. No, no, no. It has to be like brand new out of the mint for you to really get the effect. Um, but the $100 bill, it's like a, a ma- you can Google the Canadian $100 bill. It's like a maple syrupy color. And at least the edition before the newest one, they were kind of like scratch and sniffy maple syrup smelling for a while. That's like something that should be a South Park episode joke about Canada. Oh, That's I'm sure true. it is. Everyone accuses us of having monopoly money and not realizing America is like the only place in the world in the world with like like beige colored currency like australia oh, our currency is really boring yeah australia monopoly really boring. money 
England, Monopoly money, Canada, Monopoly money. And I was like, every time an American says that to me, I'm like, I think you have not looked. You're the only people that are doing it the way you do it. It's very dull. Yeah, it's very dull. Yeah, and we don't even commit fully. In Australia, the bills are colored based on denomination, but also sized differently. So the bigger the bill, right, the more money it's worth. In Canada, we just did the color part, but we did all the bills are the same size. Anyways, sorry, I'm just man. I I I bet that's wonderful for the blind citizens of Australia. Absolutely. Our notes have. That's, do your notes have braille on them? Our notes have braille on them. Not to my knowledge. I'm confident they don't have braille on them. Which when, I think when is you're a the Treasury Secretary, accessibility yeah, can be your I'll, number one. I'll change that. That's right. <laughs> that's um, right. Um, Eliza. I also, can... I'm gonna form the first space guard. Absolutely. We've got the Space Force. We need a Space Guard. Anyway, yeah. all right. <laughs> From the Treasury? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Okay, fair enough. It's where right. the Coast yeah, Guard started. I was going to say the space taxes. You're going to worry about the alien taxes, and that'll be your That's right. To, um, Eliza, oh, I can't wait to see you again. It's only a matter of time, the company kind of joining in time. They really love this time kind of being a character. Uh, adding like an exclamation point like holy shit like she lived forever after this like more of her life was spent after hamilton died than before like that's just like you can just say it like that and it seems unreal that that's the the truth um and then the company as they walk around the stage to get into like their final stage position um kind of repeats will they tell your story um time and who lives who dies who tells your story kind of over each other um it fades out and then we get eliza's kind of gasp and it's what a fucking ending like just perfect yeah it's momentous it really is one thing that's happening in that uh movement to the final tableau is we get their reunion you know, oh after, yeah of i course. can't wait to see you again yeah right? he walks if, her to the front of the stage yeah if you're watching it live or uh, uh, or on Disney Plus, you get to see you get to see either Hamilton and Eliza reuniting, or depending on your interpretation, you get to see you get to see Lin Manuel Miranda greeting Eliza. Yeah, and either way, it is a very touching moment. I the only a matter of timeline is is perfect as well because it just is only a matter like Eliza despite her best efforts apparently will eventually die. There mm-hmm. is no way they won't see each other again. It's just a matter of time. Could be five minutes. Could be five years. Could be fifty years. But it is right. only a matter of time. I just like that line because it's factually accurate, but also feels super deep. Like they're exploring. It does because it speaks to the fact that she has accepted and embraced what her reality what is. is. Yeah. There's yeah. like a comfort to it. Like, oh, yeah. I'm not wasting time on tears. I will see him again. It's just a matter of time. Let's get to work. Like, I, I really like that line. I do too. Yeah, it's very touching. Are you ready for my hottest Hamilton take? You know, I don't know. I'm kind of, I'm curious. I think, you know, I'm positive I don't, you won't fully agree with me. I'm, here's the thing: I don't know. I don't know how ment- how momentous of a take this is going to be. I don't know. So either. I'm wondering. I'm wondering if I want to take a break and then hear it, or hear it and then decide 
do I have to walk away from this forever? Okay. <laughs> I mean, it's a good time. If you're quitting Let's Dive Dude Hamilton, at least we got 99.9% of the way through. Exactly, and then we're, we're let's, done. Let's go, let's go to the bathroom, and then I'll, I'll share my take. Maybe it's not hot. I don't actually know the heat level of this take. I'm just assuming Maybe, it's but we'll very... find out, and right. we, can, you know, we can close out discussing it. Play the jingle. This is just a quick reminder to go and check out the show notes for all of our socials information. We got Twitter, we got a Facebook group, we have all kinds of places where you can come and hang out outside the podcast and chat about Hamilton. Additionally, make sure you are heading over to the email address, let's dive deep pod at gmail.com and sending us your feedback so we can chat about it, we can bring it up. We have a few more episodes to do after this about your feedback, about some of the loose ends we would like to tie up. So your feedback on this episode would be awesome. Otherwise, back to the podcast. All right, everyone, we are back. Connor has switched to whiskey in anticipation of my take. Now, before I say my take, I want to preface it with two things. I don't actually know how hot this take is. I'm assuming pretty hot. I'm just assuming most people do not feel the way I do about a specific portion of this song. But I also want to preface this that my take requires very specific nuance and exploration to explain it properly. Because it's not just like a one-line take that you can just say, drop the microphone and leave. But my take is that, and I want to preface that I will need to explore this to explain it better. I really dislike the choice, not the thing, the choice to add Eliza's gasp at the end of the live production as opposed to letting the musical fade out in the soundtrack. And I, and the reason why Connor's face is like perfectly still, the reason why I don't like this choice is because I feel like, I feel like this song sufficiently explored what I want out of the Eliza storyline at the end. And when I first watched this musical, it just was the ending. I'd listened to the soundtrack before, right? And they've added the Lauren's bit that I really enjoyed. They've added a few little things that I really enjoyed. And when the gasp came up, I was like, oh, that's different. But I didn't really think much about it. Whatever. I, and I come home and I don't think about it very much. And then I listened to some interviews just in, the, in doing research for this podcast in just being interested in Hamilton. You know, Lin-Manuel Miranda's Drunk History is awesome. I do some interviews. And inevitably, they get asked about why certain things are in the stage production and why some of them are in the soundtrack and why there's differences. And I feel like the answers that are given for why they added this gasp really turn me off of it being in there at all. Because it, it, to, to me, it makes sense. And it, I guess the purpose is, like from the explanation, what I can decipher of it, is that the idea is to have the audience leave with something unexplained. There's this existential thing to think about. Like once you leave the, the theater, what was Eliza seeing? Why is she gasping? What was on the other side, right? You know, Hamilton caught a glimpse of the other side. Is this Eliza catching a glimpse of the other side? You're meant to ask these questions about this moment. And when they ask the people who created this musical what it means... They're like, we have no idea. We, we just put it in there so the audience has like this thing to ponder when they leave the theater as like a little extra thing. And then you ask like, they'll ask Philippa Sue, <laughs> like, 
what is Eliza's gas mean? Each Eliza has like a different version of what that means. And while I'm okay with the gasp and like the existential question, to me, like your musical already ended perfectly with the fade out after who lives, who dies, who tells your story. Like it already ended perfectly. That fade out is pitch perfect. Your musical is done. It's beautiful. It's elegant. It's poignant. I'm, I'm like the emotions are lining up perfectly. Like it's a very emotional song and it's kind of all going here. And then to me, it kind of feels like the painter just adding that one extra stroke and the stroke looks good and it's fine. And I don't hate it. Like when I go to the gas, I'm like, oh, I can't believe this is in here. But I would like the story naturally left so many questions. It was a perfect natural ending. And to kind of just throw something in at the end for the specific purpose of leaving me with like something to ponder. It's like, I already had lots to ponder. Your musical was already incredible. It naturally leaves a lot of questions. Like you don't need to add this thing for the sole purpose of giving me something to ponder at the end of your musical when it already ended perfectly. It, like it's not the same thing, but relative to time, like the epilogue in Harry Potter, it already ended. And I know there's questions that people want answered. And I don't hate, like when I read the epilogue, I don't hate it. I don't like read through it, like ripping the pages, like, oh, but I'm also like, did I need this? Like your story was already over and ending a story is so hard. It is so hard to end a story well that when you do it, I really just want people like, it's like this incessant need to just touch on like that you can't quite ever finish. Like there's just something else there. And to me, the fact that I know for a fact there was no specific real purpose of this other than for you to kind of take it and interpret for yourself. Like, I'm being told the story. I don't want to leave your theater with like this weird existential question of what Eliza was seeing that you just threw on me at the last second when your musical had already ended perfectly. I don't know. So I guess my comp, my, 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 my short take of a very complicated take is I really enjoy the gasp. I enjoy Philippa Sue's portrayal of it. I just don't, enjoy the fact that it is there once it's in there once i can once i can accept that it's in there i think it's done really well but i would have just preferred if it wasn't in there for how i enjoy the endings of stories and i just feel like it just kind of adds this little bit of like they just they just wanted to do a little extra thing and to me it just goes a little bit too i don't know it just feels like that to me thoughts I'm, I'm positive most people really love it and I don't hate it. Once I can accept it's in there, I like it. I just don't like that it's in there from a choice perspective of adding it. Well, my thoughts are you're wrong and you're a hypocrite. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> That's where I thought this was going. They They give you... So... We're doing two hours on a song that's three minutes and 37 seconds long. They give you something else to talk about, and you say you hate it. <laughs> but, yeah. here's, here's the thing. Also, no, 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 first of all... I did not say I hate it. I just, I, I just would prefer sure. that it wasn't in there. Once it's in there, I enjoy how they do it. Sure, I would just sure. Pre- I would just prefer that it wasn't in there. Well, I, I didn't make him for you. Yeah, I'm not, no one has to make their musical for me. But I am more than allowed to prefer that that little bit of the musical wasn't there. 
You're abs. Of course, you you like what you like. You don't like what you don't like. I have never heard these interviews you're talking about. I've never heard an explanation of this moment. And I will tell you right now, I think they're all lying. Because when they say, I don't know what it's about, right? I guarantee you each person has an intimate, honest to God belief what that moment is about for them, right? And leaving the theater with questions, leaving the theater with things to talk about with your partner in the cab home, on the way home, in the Uber or Lyft home, do people still use real cabs? I don't know. On the train home, right? Like that, that for me is a feature, not a bug. Now, that is an, that is an interesting, but not necessarily hot take, in my opinion. If I'm being totally honest. Fair enough. I would I would say that that is your take on that moment is unique in my experience from other like people that have seen the show. You're the first one that I've heard has felt that way. But on on the takeometer, the ta- the take a meter, I would say it's lukewarm to warm. Right, Here's good. my thing. Here's my thing. When it comes to storycraft, you're objectively not incorrect about it being a shocking moment in the rhythm, in the trajectory of the moment, right? Everything is coalescing, everything is moving down, and then you have this rapid upward movement with the gasp. But again, I think that's a feature, not a bug. I know it's intentional, and I believe it's good. And here's the thing. We got an email that kind of dovetails with this a while back, and I apologize for forgetting from whom it came. But this is one of the moments that reminds us that the show is called Hamilton and not Alexander for a reason. And maybe my support of this moment is tied to my interpretation of it. I don't know. But what I see in this moment is Eliza seeing the audience and learning that her story was told. And she is gasping at the realization that night after night, hundreds or thousands of people across the world are hearing the story of the Hamiltons. And that she did do enough. For me, it's the gasp at the end of the play that answers her worry that she didn't do enough. And she is shocked to learn that she did. And that is the only way she can express it. She's speechless. She's literally aghast. She has to scream because she sees us. She sees you and me doing this podcast about her, about not just her, not just Alexander, but about the Hamiltons. And that's her on stage realizing she did enough. That's her catharsis. She just gave us ours, and now she's having her own. So it's fascinating, right? Because the moment is designed specifically for that reason, so that everyone can take it and, and interpret it in their own way, right? So your interpretation of it is awesome. I really like that interpretation. I think that's great. I, it, but that's like when the interview with Philippa Sue about what she interprets is like very different than that. 
right like her interpretation is more like she's seeing alexander in heaven type of an interpretation like just after all that time like it's only a mm-hmm. matter of time 50 years is still a long fucking time so right she... and my and and like my emotional feeling right doesn't make phyllis philippa sue wrong right and and i also believe that her interpretation of that moment doesn't necessarily make me wrong either because like i'm this this may be difficult to explain but that moment created in me a true genuine response right like that's that's my true emotional response therefore it's true for me and the story is making me respond to it and therefore it's doing its job and that's one thing that i love about live theater is that the the performer can have one intention and produce an accidental result that is still true to the person viewing it. Absolutely. That's what this whole podcast is. Like us having exactly. our interpretation. Yeah. My, my, sorry, I, I totally cut you off, but anyway. Yeah, sorry. I, that's all correct. And it's all great. And I will keep saying, once I accept that it's in there, I love all this stuff. I love your take. I love Philippa Sue's take. I love it. Once I accept that it's there, right? How I feel about it, though, is that when I left the theater, when I saw Hamilton, most people are watching this one time. The vast majority of people are watching this musical one time and not listening to this podcast and not playing the soundtrack over and over again. Like We are definitely in the minority with a capital minority. Right? Like mm-hmm. We are not, <laughs> right? My art, like the, the, one of the last things I was thinking about after seeing Hamilton was this gasp. It's the hundredth thing. I'm still on Yorktown and how fucking cool that was. Right? Like, I'm not leaving the musical and immediately turning to whoever I went with or the person in the Uber or whatever and going, out of all that, there's all of that stuff to talk about and or Eliza's gas. Like, that's not where I'm at, at, like, right after seeing it. But also, I like, this musical already leaves us with so much. Right? Like, we've done 35, 37, some ridiculous amount of hours of podcasting before we even get to this moment. Right? And while I'm glad that adding this little extra thing for the live audience specific to them doesn't like ruin the painting or anything, I still get this feeling that it's just like, you're allowed to just have that final brushstroke. You're allowed to let it fade out and have it just be amazing and let the emotions sink up and allow that to happen. Mm -hmm. Right? You think it's a hat on a hat. It's a hat on a hat, but this isn't just a Hamilton issue I have. I have this issue with all kinds of endings for all kinds of stories. I feel the exact same with the Harry Potter epilogue. Once I accept that it's there, I enjoy it. I like learning about where all the characters are. I like seeing who's married. I like seeing who has the kids. I like that Neville's a professor. All of that stuff I really love, right? I would have preferred not to know that. It's okay that at the end of Harry Potter that I have these questions about what happens to these people, right? Like, Mm -hmm. Like trying to wrap a story up in a nice little bow doesn't ever work, but making sure it's the right questions that are left to be answered that will never get answered is important. Like you have, there's the certain ones you have to tick off and you have to provide answers for. Mm -hmm. Right. And part of what allows your story to live on is to have these existential things. So from that aspect, I understand what the gasp is meant to do. My argument is that your podcast already did that or your podcast, your play already did that. A lot. We've been podcasting for 37 hours. You have already accomplished that goal. Mm-hmm. And and miraculously ended your musical perfectly, which is very hard to do. 
right? Mm -hmm. The fade out from Who Lives, Who Dies, Who Tells Your Story is the perfect ending to this musical. And I just, I can't help but dislike when that extra little brush stroke at the end, even though it works. Once I accept it, it really works for me. Mm -hmm. But I just... So funny. I just, it just kind of... Yeah, I just don't know. There's just something about when creators add that little extra bit to like just try and make sure they wrap up every little bit of their story. Right. It's it's intriguing to me that you consider it an extra bit and I consider it integral to appreciating the anatomy and purpose of the show. Like I think it's part of the spine of the show. It's not But like not really. Like it's not it's only in the live production. They already determined and maybe it's because Maybe it's because as a live audience, it's easier to react to this. But they already determined this is completely unnecessary for the soundtrack. It's just not in there. It's, it's, it's not about necessity for the soundtrack. There are some moments that are only... There are some moments that are private to the live show. Like uh, Lawrence passing. They decided... It, it's not because it's unnecessary. They decided to keep it live because it only belongs live. That was just a choice that they made, and right. I agree with them. So, so here's actually an interesting thing. I really like that choice. Like, I, it's just it's that it's right. Like, it's it's just the way the endings of stories work. And maybe I'm just very particular about how I like my endings. Lauren's bit does not happen at the end. It seamlessly kind of fits in where it fits in, and adds more to the story there. This Eliza bit, to me, it just you've already had the perfect ending. Like to me, it's over. Like it's fading out. The flag has come up. Like it's done. We're finished. The whistle has gone. And then you're like, but wait, 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 a gasp. And then we're now we're done. Like it, that's, it, it's more of a function of where it's placed than what it accomplishes. Like if they had tried to accomplish the same thing, which I think they already did. I already have all of these questions about Eliza. We've just explored for one beautiful number, how she is dealing with this death and this legacy and how she's approaching it. And we've just talked for two hours about it. They've already accomplished their goal here. Right. And if they had. Right. But, but Eliza doesn't know that they have. Here but, she learns that she did it. No, but only to you. Or only to, like, not to everyone. Only if you interpret it that way. If you're Philippa Sue, that is not what you're interpreting here. At least from what she says in the interview. So, right, like, but I don't understand that because she meets... If, if it's supposed to be seeing Hamilton on stage, and that's what Eliza is reacting to, well, she meets Hamilton at center stage. Hamilton takes her downstage, and then she faces the audience for the gasp. So if Philippa Sue is correct, if she's if she's being serious, why does she not gasp when she first meets Hamilton? That's not Hamilton. So, she, so that's not Hamilton she meets. It's Lin Manuel Miranda she meets, and Lin Manuel Miranda takes her downstage to see the audience. I will, I will preface this by saying this: I've listened to these interviews a long time ago, like maybe a year ago, mm -hmm. six months ago, and so I may be attributing a take to the wrong person. Maybe Philippa Sue thinks of it your way and it's someone else who's played Eliza or someone else in the musical that thinks of it the other way. The point I'm trying to make though, is this is not a defined thing. It is there for you to interpret. It is right, a last which, which I love. And I don't, I, I don't you want, hate I, it. I don't want, I don't hate it. I don't want to leave. <laughs> I don't want you to just foist upon me this thing that I have to interpret. Like you are telling me the story. Like I am, a, I am an audience member being told a story and you have left 
the sufficient and appropriate amount of existential things for me to think about, right? I don't want my story wrapped up in a bow. I want questions that will never get answers, right? But just at the mm -hmm. very end to throw one last existential thing that I'm then now trying to interpret, but but it doesn't work because I don't. This is This is me interpreting it, like watching or doing this podcast. Like when I left the musical... The last thing I was thinking about trying to figure out was Eliza's gasp and what it could possibly mean. So, like from that point of view, it didn't even function properly because it take it took mm. me multiple it, it took mm -hmm. me multiple watches on Disney Plus. I got you. Right, like when I left the musical after listening to that number, I had all those questions about Eliza, loads of them, right, to explore at my leisure whenever. Right, before the gasp. You were already there. I was already it, it, there. Already done its job. Yeah. I was already at the destination, right? And the gasp almost, to me, and just how I personally felt leaving the musical, almost counterintuitively took the focus off Eliza. And I was just like, oh, okay, cool. That was interesting. What about Yorktown and the choreography? Right. Right? Like, the vast majority of people are only watching this one time. And it mo normally... Hamilton is very unique in the sense that it has a Disney Plus run where you can watch a professionally filmed version. That is not true of all musicals and not true when they added the gasp. They didn't add the gasp after they found out people would be... They, they had it in there for the live production always. So you're assuming that most people are only watching this one time. 99% of the people that see Hamilton will see it one time, right? And so for me, that doesn't even complete its function and why it's there, or at least why people say they put it in there. Right. And again, maybe I'm misattributing the exact reasons, but it is something along that line of like, we wanted the audience to have this moment with Eliza where they have to interpret, like it's left up to interpretation. It's not defined, but to me, it doesn't right. even achieve that goal because most people are only watching this one time. And certainly after I'd only seen it one time, I didn't really care for it. And the only other place that I'll ever listen to Hamilton is the soundtrack up until the Disney plus thing came out. It was the soundtrack in which it's not there. And so you'll mm -hmm. only even ever remember that it exists. You might even forget that it happened, actually. If you go to the live musical and then you listen to the soundtrack to your Hamilton itch, you might even forget the gasp happened because after the hundredth listen of the soundtrack, the Lawrence bit isn't there, the gasp isn't there. Like, There's no way you're doing that and then going to talk to your friends. About, I don't know. I, I, once I accept that it's I there, did. I love it. <laughs> but I just so can't. this is... It's 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 so interesting. I'm I'm torn because part of me goes back to my my staunch belief in the Wagnerian system of that which does not add to the show detracts from it, and this did not add to the show for you. Therefore, it detracted from it. Therefore, by definition, and I subscribe to this school of thought. I like I I do I do subscribe to it. Therefore, it makes it a moment that maybe doesn't work. You know, for you, it's like, you know what what I'm hearing from you is that moment when you go to a museum and at the end of the museum, you're forced to go through the gift shop. That's what it is. And, That's exactly and in, what it is. In the gift shop is a coffee mug. And on the coffee mug is a photograph of a painting you just saw. And you're like, but I just saw the paint. That's what I'm hearing from yeah, you. That's exactly right. It just feels Whereas, like, yeah. Whereas for me, it's another painting in the museum, you know? And I think that this is all good shit. I honestly <laughs> do. 
Let me, and, and, and I, I feel that way because it's this tiny moment in this show. Like all the other amazing moments in the show, we can spend 10 to 20 minutes fucking talking about. You know, like yeah. that interests me. I, I, you know, I, 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 it is very interesting. You have a unique, in my experience, opinion on this moment, and it fascinates me. And like, you, you could be reductive and you could say, Bradley wants to have inspiration to have questions about art, but only so many questions don't give me one more. Like you could be reductive and say it that way. But your point is well supported by the fact that everything up to this moment has been successful, right? And so I can kind of, I can kind of get behind your gilding the lily argument. Like it's not like for you, the story was already told, you know? Right. To me, it was over after the yeah. hula, like in my mind, that's the story you were telling me was complete and finished. And this is like the bonus DLC pack that you're only getting at the live show where they're leave, they're trying to give you more. The intention is good. And I'll keep saying it. Once I accept that it's there, I really love it. I don't hate the portrayal of it. I don't, I, I like the gasp. I love how Philip performs it, all that. Yeah. You just bumped on it. I just, I would prefer that it wasn't there at all. Once it's there and I accept that, I enjoy it. I would just, I, I just think it's a little duplicative. I just think it's tacked on at the end when there could have been a more elegant way to have Eliza realize she's talking to the audience before the natural fate. Like, I guess, I guess my, I'm giving them almost too much credit. I am giving them so much credit for having ended their musical perfectly, which is hard to do. Most stories do not end perfectly. There are very few of them that end on this mm -hmm. like perfect moment. So I'm giving them all the credit. Part of why I don't like this moment is that they did such a good job immediately preceding it that unless mm -hmm. this also does that same good job for me, it will just feel like to me, the quality, right? Even if I, let's say I really love the gasp, but I really love the ending, like the uh -huh. fade out. Yeah. Right? So yeah, even yeah. for me, if yeah. your ending is perfect and I find the gasp, anything less than perfect, even just slightly less, it still feels like a come down at the very end. Right. And to me, like the gasp does not top the perfect ending they'd already achieved. And thus I just, ah, just, ah, like, I, I just, feel I feel like there may have been a more elegant way to put that in there. If that's what they wanted to achieve instead of just only at the end, only for the live audience, even if you have to keep it only for the live audience, because if your interpretation that she's witnessing the live audience kind of out of time, right. It's gotta be before the perfect fucking ending. And maybe that's my problem is like the ending is so good to me that even this moment just being slightly less good, although still good, just feels like a come down in quality, even though it is still, it is still good. I don't hate it. It doesn't like make me mad when I watch it, but mm -hmm. I, I just feel that a little bit of a come down going into it that I wish I didn't feel at the very end after you've perfectly ended the story, which is very hard to do. I got you. So we're not... We're not in midichlorians territory. We're Jabba edited into a new hope territory. Absolutely. Absolutely. Like, <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, I'm gonna I, I end my take here. I'm gonna end my take here. There's no reason to talk about this for more than 20 minutes, right? I look. I I had to I I had to bust your chops a little bit for comedic value. It's it, it's not an unnuanced take. And like I said, I'm not saying it's actually that hot of a take. It's unique in my experience and honestly a little surprising. But like, it's built on the back of the fact that you, like you've said, like you've reiterated, they did what you thought was an infallible job up to that point. And then it took you out of it, and I I feel that. So, but anyway, in your, your closing arguments, good. The closing argument: the gasp is good. It is not something that when I watch it, I go, "Man, that was rough." Like that sucked. The gasp is fine, even if it's a nine out of ten. Though to me, it's following an ending that was a ten out of ten, and endings that are ten out of tens are so rare. Mm-hmm. so rare most people are disappointed with most endings in most pieces of art so the the craftsmanship of ending this musical in a in a in a way that i feel is perfect and unfallible like this last song was perfect to me that any moment that becomes less than that stands out and maybe unfairly because there are things in this musical I like or I dislike way more than The Gasp. Mm-hmm. It is just a function of where it's coming and what it's following, which might be unfair. Right? It's like we talked about with performances earlier. Like, like how on earth is anyone following Leslie Odom after Wait For? Like, how unfair is right. that? It's not that your performance right. is bad. It's just specifically you are following Leslie Odom, and that's hard to keep that level of quality up. And that's how I feel oh, about this. Sure. So I, there are things in Hamilton I dislike way more than The Gasp. It is just a function of where it's placed. The reasons I can interpret why it was placed there by just interviews, and maybe I'm reading the interviews wrong, or maybe I'm misremembering them, right? Maybe there was much more explanation. Like, But where it is, the reason why it's there, and what it's following, to me, just kind of adds up to slightly less than perfect, which I think the ending was. This has been a really rewarding debate for me personally because now I have like an afternoon of interviews to go research because I'm curious, right? Because my, like, I came to that moment just based on my own reaction. And like, I might, I, I need to break out Hamilton the Revolution and look to like see what notes are, are in about that because I'm. Yeah. And these aren't interviews about that moment specifically. This is around the time when it came out on Disney Plus. And, mm-hmm. you know, Disney mm-hmm. Plus had a bunch just of interviews. Just press so- junket. Right. And so like those interviews also don't allow for a lot of nuance. This isn't like someone asking Hamilton or Lin-Manuel Miranda why it's there and he gets an hour to explain it. It's literally like you have 10 seconds go. Yeah. Right. And maybe maybe I'm misremembering it. Maybe I I mean, even even if I go back to the interviews and it turns out they put it there for all of these awesome philosophical reasons, I still find it slightly less than I feel like job was already done anyway. And so it's not yeah. gonna it's not gonna fully bring me back on board. But I, I just get the sense that it was kind of like a bunch of painters who'd already painted the perfect portrait, who just wanted to add this one last brushstroke. And right. that and that well, the brushstroke is fantastic. I really really loved what the last last brushstroke was. Well, no amount of facts change your your true feeling reaction to that moment. Like it like they can they can explain to you what their what their intent was. But we're not analyzing their intent necessarily. We're analyzing what it is from page one to 300 or whatever, right? 
You know, we were talking the other day about my my thoughts on death of the author analysis. Yeah. Like in my like you you have presented this work to me. I'm analyzing it for what it is, and your analysis has led you to believe, eh, I accept it, but you'd already done your job. Like, you know, so I, you know, I I, I I'm saying like if you if you find Lynn Manuel Miranda giving an interview and he says exactly what I just fucking said, that should <laughs> never change how you feel about it, ever, right? It wouldn't. I still it, it, and it shouldn't. Yeah, that's what, that's all anyway. I'm saying. Yeah. yeah. Um. All right. Are we ready to wrap this thing up? I wish we would. Man, what a journey it's been. All right, listeners. Before we do the outro. Big thank you. You've made it. You've made it through, I want to say, just under 40 hours. Maybe you skipped a few episodes. Maybe you listened on two times speed, which I probably would recommend at this point. We'll have to check with Mia for the final we'll have to check with Mia. hour count. Yeah. yeah, Mia's got the hour count in the Facebook group, so I don't even have to do that, which is awesome. Um, yeah, I don't really know what to say here other than thank you for listening to this super self-indulgent podcast. Um... I, at the beginning of COVID, just like talking into microphones about things I enjoy, such as Bridgerton. And kind of after Bridgerton, Hamilton was the, the next thing I was really enjoying. And, and Connor and I had kind of met through another thing that we both do on, online, which is so far separate from this. It's not worth kind of explaining. Um, <laughs> and Connor expressed interest in hopping on the Hamilton deep dive. Like the Hamilton deep dive was going to be next. And Connor was like, Cool. And then I said, how involved do you want to be? <laughs> and I, I wonder if Connor's regretting that decision now that it's been 40 hours of podcasting. But um, what a journey. So much fun. I, it is an obscene amount of analysis, far greater than most viewers of Hamilton will ever want to um, indulge themselves in. But I've had a good fucking time. So thank you for listening. Thank you, Connor, for indulging me and allowing me to, to add another person to this insane deep dive of a two-hour musical or two-and-a-half-hour musical. Yeah, just thanks, everyone. It's been good. It's been a pleasure, man. I, uh, I just hope that everybody listening has enjoyed it half as much as I have. Cause right, even if it's half I'm, as much, it's you know, still a lot. Yeah, it's still a lot because you know I'm having a fucking ball. And, uh, you know, like I, I've expressed this earlier, uh, on the show and in discord, it's been very cathartic for me because there was a time you mentioned COVID there was a long time. I wasn't able to do what I do. So being able to at least talk about it has been a, a comforting balm, uh, throughout was, uh, throughout a period that was a very trying time. Um, but now we get to uh, we get to start wrapping this up. I think I think we've talked about maybe one to three additional Hamilton episodes that will coincide got, with. Yeah, I think we've got three for sure. So for those of you who are listening, I, I this will not come as a surprise to you now. I am fascinated by endings, and I think things should end. There are so many podcasts that don't end, and they keep going forever, and it bothers me. It really bothers me. And the whole conceit of Let's Dive Deep for any Let's Dive Deep is that you do the analysis of the thing, 
any bonus episodes you do during the run are kind of fair game. But for the most part, you want to leave it as a thing people can kind of come to and enjoy. When I pick up a book like To Kill a Mockingbird, the words aren't different this time I pick it up. The, like Nothing has changed since the last time I read the book or since it was written. I want this podcast and like all of the podcasts to be that same kind of, it's a nice bundle for you to come to. I don't want, I want you to get to the end and like, that was fun, but not be like waiting with bated breath for the next episode of something whenever, like, that's not the feeling I want people to get when they reach the end of Let's Dive Deep Hamilton or Let's Dive Deep Harry Potter or Let's Dive Deep whatever. And so the, the current plan, I believe we have three episodes. We have to do the one where we do the awards for act two. And I guess in that episode, you also do some overall awards for the whole musical. We have the best overall song we have to do, like a, the small song ranking thing. Um, yeah. And we, we said, I believe, we said we would do um, Hamilton characters on a Quidditch team. Yeah. I believe we said we would do that. So that's kind of one episode, very similar to the in-between episode from last time. Um, I think we wanted to do one episode that's kind of, now that we've explored this musical, 40 hours of discussion and notes and everything, um, how we feel about it as a as a work of art, has anything changed going through this experience from how we felt about it at the beginning, just kind of really, instead of taking three hours to analyze two songs, take two or three hours to analyze the whole musical now, and kind of how we feel about it post-deep dive, as opposed to pre-deep dive, and then it would be really silly of us not to do at least one Q&A episode, take some emails, we've got a lot of emails this act that we need to kind of pour through and decipher and, and, and chat about and give those people some airtime. Um, you guys have been amazing sending us a lot of emails that are very, very detailed and sometimes multiple pages long. Um, so I'd like to reward that effort a little bit and, and make sure you guys feel appreciated um, for doing that. Um, and then look, I, yeah, I don't... Su suffice it to say the emails we have received are uh, in the spirit of the show and its protagonist. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I, I love that. And I don't want to say, I don't want to say never say never. If there are still emails coming in in the future and there are still things Connor and I feel that are important to explore, it's worth coming back for the odd episode. Like, it's not worth unsubscribing to the feed, right? If there's something that's worth going back and exploring for an episode, there's no reason not to do it. But for the most part, once the deep dive is done, the deep dive is finished. And if there's something else later down the line that can add to the product of Let's Dive Deep Hamilton in a, in a, in a way that is substantial, then, hey, I'm not against returning for an episode to do that thing or to talk about that thing. Yeah. Right. But I. But you're I, not. But you're not going to be endlessly waiting on bated breath for like when will there? You know what? It, like no, it is. Like, like you said, it's finished body of work. Right. Like and there's I think, not going to be like, ooh, what are the the top ten Hamilton costumes episode? Like that's just not an episode that's happening. Right. That's not a substantial right. enough thing. Like if we haven't covered that enough in this deep dive, then maybe that's a flaw in the podcast. But that's not the type. Like they're. I mean, Harry Potter podcasts are the worst for this, and I'm. And I, and I, you know what? Maybe I'll be a big hypocrite in however long it takes us to finish the deep dive. And let's we'll find out, right? Maybe I'll have more trouble sticking to my guns then, but it's like seven, eight years after Harry Potter's finished and people are still doing weekly pot. Like what is that? Like, I don't know. It's just not really for me as a listener or as a content creator, right? I want to move on to the next project once the one that, the current one is finished. And so, yeah, there'll be a couple episodes. Also, not worth unsubscribing to the feed after those bonus episodes. There may be the occasional once-in-a-blue-moon update 
from Connor and I, if we find something substantial, we really want to talk about, I just wouldn't expect. And when that happens, of course, you know, either in the Bridgerton or Harry Potter feed, we'll say, hey, if you've unsubscribed from Hamilton, we're dropping one this week about this thing that just came up. So, yeah, Or the, the Facebook group or Twitter. It'll be mm-hmm. there. Um, It'll be there. Yeah, the next thing for us is Let's Dive Deep Harry Potter. We're recording episode one next weekend in real time for those listening. You don't know when that is because you have no idea when we're recording this other than November. <laughs> um, that'll be coming out in December, which is awesome. So um, feel free to stay tuned on the socials for that um just so you um there'll be an episode zero going into the harry potter feed so the feed is up and running you have the chance to subscribe to it episode zero will be uh, like a 10 to 15 minute episode very short succinct explanation of what the podcast is um so you know ahead of time about the adult content the spoiler policy the the level of analysis the things we're considering for analysis all that stuff um and yeah otherwise for those listening in the future Please keep leaving those reviews. Please keep sending us those emails. We love reading them. We love chatting about them. Um, once the Facebook group and, and Twitter are a little more robust, um, we'll be able to have those discussions permanently in there. Um, so the Let's Dive Deep Hamilton spirit can never die. It doesn't need to be in a podcast feed. It can be on on Facebook, um, which is awesome. But yeah, Let's Dive Deep Pod at gmail.com. Um, Twitter at Let's Dive Deep. If you want to reach us out, reach uh, out to us there. Um, the Patreon and the Facebook group are just down below in the show notes. If you're interested in those things, um, do you have anything else to add, Connor? As we just another thank you, just my enduring gratitude. It's been a blast, and we're just getting started. All right. Well, everybody, what a journey! Thank you all for listening. I hope you'll stick around. For the bonus episodes as they come out, the the at least three of them, um, I'm not exactly sure on a timeline of when they will come out. Um, we'll kind of record them. And we're hoping to get a little bit ahead on Harry Potter recording so we can then come back and record some of the Hamilton episodes. So we'll let you know on the socials when those episodes will be, um, hopefully within a, a month, a month and a half, not too long from now, but they'll be in the feed. Um, but yeah, thank you so much for listening. We appreciate it. Uh, we hope you've enjoyed this deep dive. Um, And we will see you in the next one.